Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Corbett, your host, and with me, of course, is none other than my co-host, Mr. Brandon Noway. How you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing really good, Mark. How about you? I'm doing fine, man. I've got Chicago on my mind today. I don't know. I guess maybe because lunch is coming up and I'm thinking, you know, deep dish pizza. And in my mind, it's, it, it keeps going toward that. I'm, I'm thinking, well, what next? Well, yeah, you got Wrigley Field. You've got uh, Harry Carey. And then, oh, of course, our guest today, Miss Sarah Sanchez. Sarah, hey, how you doing? Great. How are you? I am doing great, man. I got to tell you, it is fantastic having you here today. I love all that you've done this. I mean, you're you're a writer, you're a blogger, you're a podcaster, you're a fan of the game, and you know you dig in and you do some good analysis of what's going on with Major League Baseball. So, uh, kindred spirits, and uh, Brandon and I both love what you're doing. And God's honest truth, we've stolen a couple of ideas from you too. Well, I hope they were good ideas. Don't don't steal the bad ones. I do have them every now and again. But thank you so much for having me today. I'm looking forward to talking some baseball with you. Well, we appreciate it. And Sarah, there's been so much going on with baseball in the last few years. Everything from looking at minor leagues, contractions, looking as far as uh, some teams seem to be, well, we can look at what some of the Mariners president said recently. And the ugly truth came out. But there's a lot of good things going on. And with the Cubs, I'm excited because I look back, yes, 2016 World Series, but you guys have kept a, a winning average every year, I guess, since then as well, haven't you? Yeah, the Cubs have been right on top of the division, but it's a little deceptive because the division is one of the weakest in baseball. And and I don't mean that it's just like the worst teams there. There are actually worse teams in some other divisions. The, I noted exception to the pirates who I'm, I'm not sure if they could beat a triple a team right now, but the, you know, we don't have a bottom that is the same as like the Royals or the Orioles or something like that. However, those four teams, the Cincinnati Reds, the Brewers, the Cubs and the Cardinals are all really right on top of each other. They're all right around that 80 to 85 win mark. And so they have a lot of games against each other to win they have a lot of games against each other to lose and none of them are exceptional, right? So we just kind of keep trading off who is going to be in that top spot year in, year out. And the Cubs have done a good job of holding on to it, but let's not pretend they did that by getting better. They actually did that by getting a little bit worse and the division just not catching up. I was, saying, I was so disappointed in the Brewers last year. I was always making fun of them and I felt like Brewers fans didn't like me because I, I picked them to do really good and then they, Barely made the playoffs and went out with a whimper. I mean, at the moment, Fangraphs agrees that the Brewers might win the division by four games with like 86 wins or something like that. I think was the last time I looked at it, it's just not, there's not very much impressive <laughs> going on in the NL Central. If you're the Cardinals and you can get the Rockies to pay you to take Nolan Arenado, it sort of seems like that should make you more than an 84-win team, and it didn't. Yeah, that, that should be a lot of dis- very discouraging for a lot of those Cardinal fans, but, you know, shame on them. <laughs> I, I've been a Cubs fan. We did, we had a, a guy here a couple of weeks ago on here, a uh, grandson of Phil Cavaretta. And then they, uh, earlier this week, we had another gentleman, Bobby Bass. He's a big fan, head out there to La, La Mesa, you know, going to, was at Sloan Park out there to see the Cubbies. So we love, you know, kind of a, uh, an advocate of the Cubs all along the way too. But the thing of it is the challenges that these teams are facing and certain divisions, like you said, may be more robust than others. Look at it at some decisions that are being made. I mean, I was looking through some of the different payrolls that are being projected for this year, and NL Central isn't leading 
to top of that? No, they're really not. And, you know, for Cubs fans, this is new. Uh, the Cubs have been bumping up against the luxury tax for the last few seasons. That is not true in 2021. I think that a bunch of teams, and, and I've sort of tweeted out 80% flippantly before. It's not exactly 80%. I think there are five or six teams in win-now mode. If you're the Padres, you're in real win-now mode. If you're the White Sox, you're in win-now mode. And I think everyone else is perfectly happy to spend as little as possible on 2021, see if there's going to be a baseball season with the CBA negotiations in 2022, and then restock for later. And part of why I think the Cubs were so, I don't even want to say happy because fans were certainly not happy, but why the Cubs were okay with a return for you Darvish that included three guys who are teenagers and four guys who haven't seen an at-bat above instructional ball is because they're not really looking at a window opening again until 2023 or 2024. And that's right around the time an 18 year old might be able to make a contribution to this team. You were talking about the Darvish trade and it's like, what exactly are the Cubs doing? Cause Jed Hoyer came out like around Thanksgiving and he said they don't want to rebuild. They kind of want to re reload and be like the Yankees and have long-term success. But the Darvish trade, it kind of, it reeks of a salary dump. Are they are they really reloading or are they rebuilding? The only reason that Jed Hoyer can make that comment with a straight face is because the division is so weak. He can claim that the team is not rebuilding because a team that's going to win right around 82 games is probably going to be in the thick of the division. That does not mean that the Cubs are stocking up to win the World Series. They were, look, the NL Central had three teams in the expanded playoffs last year, and all three of them got bounced immediately. This is not a strong division, right? Um, so I think that Jed Hoyer is being truthful when he says they're not planning on rebuilding. The Cubs will be right in the thick of an NL Central race that won't mean anything in 2021. But I think he's also being a bit too clever by half because if you're trying, to turn you Darvish into prospects that will make a difference in 2022. If you believe there's going to be a baseball season in 2022, you're trying to get them to give you like a Mackenzie Gore. You're not trying to get them to give you some 17 year old that they picked up as an international free agent signing who's never had an at bat above instructional league. Right. And so it's not that he's, lying about it but he is being a little bit cheeky and taking advantage of the fact that the central is a weak division where the cubs can compete and look competitive without reloading on top tier ready to go prospects zach davies is not a legitimate return for you darvish and victor Caratini. i like him he's not a legitimate return for you darvish and victor Caratini. well let me ask you let's let me ask you something then because we're talking there about jed hoyer and his predecessor a guy he worked with, Theo, Theo Epstein. Wow. Um, he was real catalyst for turning things around a few years ago. He had had a couple of World Series he'd built up with the with the Red Sox and then uh, and then this. So is there is you think there's a step down uh, from commitment from Hoyer? Uh, purse strings being pulled by the Ricketts family? What, what's what's happening? I think it's more the purse strings with the Ricketts. I think Hoyer will be fine. I do think, you know, you, you brought up Theo. And one of the things that I think Theo is really well known for is his transparency and his leadership. If you're a long-term Cubs fan, you know that when Theo came in in like 2014, he walked in and basically said, we have to tear this whole thing down 
and rebuild it. And it's going to be a while before the Cubs are good again. And that is exactly what he did. He tore the whole thing down. They rebuilt it. They got a bunch of high level draft picks for those hundred lost seasons. They turned them into players like Chris Bryant, players like Kyle Schwarber. And he was honest about that. He used to tell this joke at Cubs convention that there were older ladies in the neighborhood who would stop him on the street as he was walking to his office. And they'd say, is it going to be soon? And he was kind of like, hold on a few years, do your cardio, right? Because he knew that he wasn't delivering a winner in Wrigleyville in 2014. That said, I think that Jed Hoyer has probably a better handle on where he wants this team to be in a few years he's just not being as transparent about that with fans which is why you get these comments about oh it's not it's not a rebuild we're just like restocking we're, we're going to be competitive anybody who's looking at this knows that losing you Darvish who is one of the top five pitchers yeah. in the NL and has been an outstanding pitcher since the end of 2019. It wasn't just the shortened 2020 season. There was a stretch in 2019 where you Darvish didn't walk a batter for like seven games. I was sitting in the stands just like praying he wasn't going to walk anybody because he had this historic no walk streak going on. It was kind of insane, honestly. So they're not a better team without you Darvish. They're certainly not a better team without Victor Caratini. Victor Caratini would be a starting catcher on a large number of major league baseball teams and they turned him into a year of Zach Davies and some magic beans. So, and and don't get me wrong. I really like these prospects. I'm sure they will be great someday, but when you're talking about 17 year old kids without a lot of experience, they are lottery tickets. They are hopes and dreams and lottery tickets. And a lot of things can happen on the way to the base. Yeah. Lottery tickets. I mean, I got to tell you from uh, my perspective back in the world of Tampa Bay for just a moment, it has been interesting. I mean, Eric Neander, watching trades he's made, like what he did with, uh, we traded Chris Archer away. <laughs> we got Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now. Who are these guys? Wow. Who are these guys? We found out real quick. Now we got Archer back too. Not sure about all that. I always say to myself, all right, Neander knows a whole heck of a lot more than I do. Sometimes he frustrates the hell out of me trying to figure out what he's doing. But in the end, I think they've had success with a very limited budget, very limited budget. What the Rays are doing is incredible. And I I wrote a piece about this that was really a deep dive in how the NL Central wasn't doing anything, but the Rays popped out in one of the charts I was looking at. And so what you're talking about is true. The difference between what the Rays do and what the Cubs have done or what the Cardinals or the Brewers or any team in the NL Central has done is that the Rays make those types of moves and they still sit as a team right around 45, 55 F war projected for the season. They still sit as an elite team with their wins above replacement projection for the season. The Cubs, Brewers and Cardinals are vying for like the top projected fan war in their division at like 25 and 27. Those are not competitive teams. The, the Rays are a competitive team, right? And it is, it is also interesting to me. Chris Archer, you bring up, is fascinating. I've been keeping an eye on him in some of my fantasy drafts just because Chris Archer is one of those pitchers who used to have a lot of cachet when he was a Ray and did a lot better as a Ray than he did as a Pirate. And you sort of wonder if the Rays believe they can get some of that magic back with him. That's one of the things I'm keeping an eye on for 2021. I'm looking forward to that too because – when Neander traded Archer away, I don't think a lot of people here were sad because Chris was having a tough time. 
but I don't think we knew if it was magic beans or not with Meadows and you know Tyler Glass. Now, obviously, it wasn't. The changes, you know, these that are being made. I mean, purse strings are important. I know. I don't know. I mean, there's things we could have done better. We we could have we could have kept Snell. <laughs> we could have kept Charlie Morton, and those things would have been important. I, heck, I go back another year. We could have kept Darno. You know, as a catcher, it was just amazing. But we didn't, and shame on us. One of the things Brandon was talking about, you were looking at at how some of the things we think you think we're hurting ourselves with. Brandon, what was the question you had? Yeah, and it's been a big topic. Mark and I, like, seems like we talk about it like at least once a month. But it seems that MLB constantly seems to make moves that hurt itself. Like last month's was they fired a bunch of social media personnel when we're in the age of social media. And we read your article and I felt bad because I felt like I was stealing everything you said, but I agreed with you 100%. I want to get your thoughts, but why does it seem like MLB always seems to make moves that hurt itself versus easy moves that can make it better? A great question. Uh, my short answer is that Rob Manfred doesn't like baseball very much. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be a little bit less flippant. I am excited that Theo Epstein has taken on a role in the commissioner's office to do some work with them because some of that transparency, Theo is a real fan of the game. Like he's a person who grew up playing those, um, oh, I'm going to lose the name, like those sportsmatic games and whatnot, where he would create his own teams and see if he could make the championship team. And he used to, I think I read somewhere that when he was a kid, he used to play around creating teams uh, out of Negro league players and seeing how they would do in the major leagues. I mean, he was kind of an analytic, an analytically minded kid all the way back to when he was just playing around with numbers and stats and his, at his parents' house. I think Theo being in the commissioner's office could go a long way to fixing some of the problems that the current commissioner's office has. That said, I don't think that Rob Manfred acts like a steward of the game. I think he acts like a lawyer for the owners. And part of the reason that Major League Baseball consistently does things that are maddening, I, the social media contributors firing is, is a great example. Those are people who spend a lot of time, they are your at Cubs, right? They are your at Rockies, they're your at Rays, they're your at Padres. Actually, I don't think the Rays had one. The Rays were one of the only teams that didn't lose somebody there. And I, you know, shout out to my co-author on that piece, Ashley McClellan, because I think that she's the one who noted that there were a couple of teams that weren't affected. Um, but these are the people that are interacting with you on those accounts. They're the people that take all of the mean comments people have when a game doesn't go right. And they just kind of have to let them roll off their back because they didn't make any of those decisions, but they just have to read them. And they do awesome things. They create fun events. You know, when we can actually go to baseball games, they're the people in charge of your social media nights. They're the people who are doing the giveaways on those accounts and the shout outs. And if you've ever had the thrill of seeing your name like retweeted from your favorite team put up on a broadcast or something, that was probably an in-game coordinator for social media. And it's fun, right? So letting those people go who actually have a connection with fans and the people who go to games all the time know them. They are real people tests. We hang out with them on occasion. Was just maddening to me and frankly, silly. They were real human people who made the game of baseball young and hip and fun. And baseball was like, yeah, we can cut that line item. We can cut the fun line item. We can cut the connecting to youth line item. 
we can cut the scouts. We can cut the people who are going out to find you the next Wilson Contreras or the next Kyle Schwarber or the next Travis Diarno. We can cut those guys. We don't need them, right? And that is a problem. The problem isn't that they are, you know, sitting there twisting their mustache trying to destroy baseball. But when you view your job as being a lawyer to maximize the profits of 30 owners who functionally operate, it's not even, people occasionally say, oh, baseball's a free market, blah, blah, blah. It is not. It is much closer to a cartel than a free market. And, and I don't mean that in like a, I don't mean that in like a shocking way. I mean that in like an economics textbook way, the way that baseball operates and how it deals with itself and sets its own rules and its commodity is so distinct from what you get for like a free market for, for any other product, right? Rob Manfred is not here to steward the game of baseball into the next century. He's not here to make baseball fun for the next generation. He's not here to ensure that players have an awesome experience and their stories are told and celebrated. He's here to make sure that the owners make money and he's doing that. I think you hit it right on the mark. When you talk about he's here to make the owners money. I think what I worry about is that the, there's some sharp sightedness because if you're not making it enjoyable for the fans, then you're missing it. You know, if you're just looking with a slide roll there, trying to put all the pieces together. Hey, great. I understand some of that, but it's just some of that. He is basically going to be the mouthpiece of the owners. And I don't, I don't know that from his insider, from his psyche that he can give the compassion that needs to be there. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm seriously hoping that Theo Epstein is going to make a big difference there. Bottom line, though, I say, well, as exciting or as well-meaning as Theo may be, it, it just might not happen because it's still the doggone owners going to dictate everything, and they're so out of touch with baseball fans. I just, I don't know. I, I, Brandon, that goes back to you, and, and you're saying <laughs> – why is MLB hurting itself? Or, or is there anything, is there a reason to come back to that? I don't know. What What are your thoughts, Brandon? I mean, I believe she put it well. Like, he's a lawyer. He's not really concerned about the future. And they should be worried about the future because when I was in high school, nobody was really talking about baseball. They were rather, they would rather talk about, you know, the NBA, LeBron. Even down here, the Lightning were really good. A ton of people were talking about them. And even the Bucks when, frankly they sucked back then and i'm wondering what do you sarah think mlb can do to grow the game with younger generations because that seems to be their biggest problem in connecting with so i think there's two things the first one is kind of like a meta thing that they have to do and the second one is actually some nitty-gritty programming stuff in terms of this meta thing mlb is about to hit a existential threat the coming CBA negotiation, if it goes poorly, and all signs point to it going poorly, <laughs> there's not good communications between the Players Association and MLB. They don't agree on very much. They fight over everything. Part of the reason they couldn't get a season off the ground last year is because nobody wanted to give any ground in the run-up to those negotiations, and everybody wanted to position themselves for them. And I get it. That's a contract that impacts hundreds of players' lives and existence, and they didn't get a good deal in the last one. So they want to make sure they get a good deal here. There's a very real threat that baseball will face a 
protract a prolonged work shortage that they will have a strike of some sort in the 2022 season and that that could last a long and I think if that were to happen that is an existential threat to baseball right after the shortened season right after the pandemic for baseball to have that type of fight doesn't look great you know I'm, I'm going to pause for one second one of the things that I love about baseball and I, I'm borrowing this idea and I wish I could cite it appropriately to someone. It comes from the old Ken Burns documentary, Baseball. I remember seeing this as a kid and it's always stuck with me. Baseball tracks what's going on in American life in very real ways, right? And so this, we have this fight going on in society where we have like billionaire owners who are making out like bandits during the pandemic as people lose their jobs and the longest food lines in the history of this country since the Great Depression. Baseball does that. Baseball has billionaire owners who are trying to squeeze minor leaguers who don't have enough money to eat more than peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when they're in double A and single A. And that that's a fight where nobody winds up looking good. Millionaires fighting with billionaires over money is not a fight that plays real well in the court of public opinion. And a lot of young people, your friends from high school, kids who are trying to decide what sport they're going to watch, just won't watch baseball if that's the fight, right? And so that's that's an, that's sort of the frame for everything that's happening. But the second thing that baseball needs to do, and baseball, MLB, if you're listening, this is, I've had this idea for a couple of years now and I definitely can follow through on it. So, you know, hit me up. Um, I think baseball needs an education program. I think baseball needs a way to grow fans, not just by getting them like playing the game. The play ball initiatives are great, that's a great idea to make sure that baseball happens in neighborhoods and that kids have access to it. But also for kids who come to your ballparks, there should be like a small, you know, like you go to a museum and you're a six-year-old kid. There's like ways to walk a six-year-old through a museum to make sure they see certain things and do certain things. And they get to like dust off a dinosaur bone and find a little dinosaur footprint or something. And now they're all excited about dinosaurs, right? Well, baseball should do that. There should be education coordinators at baseball games that are doing things like, I don't know, score an inning correctly, come give it back to us and we'll give you a hat, right? Not just like you get a sticker for your first time here, but like, let's do a little scavenger hunt that is age appropriate, that takes you around the ballpark and gets you fired up about the different things that are going on with this game. And you get to go show that to people and you get to get something for it. And your first trip to Wrigley Field now, you're a certified scorekeeper or something. I don't know. But it changes the way you interact with the game when you have a point where the game welcomes you in and you get to learn about it and you get to play with it and you get to put that back in the world. And I don't think there's a lot of former teachers doing baseball work. I don't think there's a lot of people thinking about the experience of a kid's first game. You know, I, I keep score at every game. I used to keep score for my brother's little league teams and I've been doing it since I was a kid. But my favorite thing about baseball games, aside from the game itself, is when some eight-year-old or nine-year-old sees me keeping score and says, hey, what are you doing? How, what is that? And I teach some random kid in the stands how to keep score. And I know when I've done that, that I've created a fan for life, that that kid is going to know, they're going to be looking for double plays. They're going to understand why the shortstop is the shit, right? And that's a thing that once you turn on, it's hard to draw. That is important. I mean, you continually think of, of things. I say, okay, great. You hand them a coloring book. Great. That's wonderful. You got the mascot in there. You can do crayons and all that, but it doesn't really engage them. Oh, to them, you could have had giraffes and lions in there, or you could have had Ray, Raymond, the mascot. <laughs> it's not going to make a difference, but 
from what you're talking, getting them engaged in the game, you know, having something where they're, they're going with it, where the scorekeeping is amazing to me. I, I think that is huge. I even proposed once to the race, said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to look at uh, maybe tying into some math classes. Maybe go ahead and you do analytics with math classes. Maybe you, maybe at a lower age, you do the scorekeeping. You, you, you try to talk about balance. You try to talk about strategy. There's so many ways to get people involved with baseball. A lot of folks who have a mindset, they're saying, okay, that's three and a half hours, four hours of my life that I'm surrendering and say, but if you give them something to see the depth of the game, if you can engage them with that, and if you can do it early on with some of these youngsters, yes, you're going to get them. It's not going to come from just a coloring book. You know, it's not going to come from somebody appearing at a charitable event. I'm not saying you don't do those things or that they don't have some effect, but getting more engaged, like you were talking about some things like with the scorekeeping are just going through the stadium and have to, to notice certain things, not just marking them off, but have an understanding of them. I think that's great. The, the essays thing, you know, that, that can be to some degree too, because I'm sorry, I I tend to go on and on about this because that, it drives me nuts. I'm thinking there's so many missed opportunities that the cost level would be so small that these owners, why aren't you doing it? I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know why they're not doing it either, but I think that you could have a big impact with the next generation with a few hundred thousand dollar investment in a good education program. We see it here. It's not baseball related, but with the lightning, we're not exactly a traditional hockey market. But with their run of success, they've had the past 10 years and having an owner who we're fans of, and they have a program where they, they'll go out to elementary and middle schools with hockey sticks and a ball, and they teach them the game of hockey. It's not exactly like a win now investment, but it's something where you could win now in the future because they give them, when my sister had it, they had a guy who was on the original Stanley Cup team. He was there teaching them the game and they gave them a coupon to where they could get two tickets to a certain selection of home games. So it does work, believe it or not. It's they just need to do it. Well, Sarah, I think you you hit it on point there earlier. I'm glad you brought that up too, Brandon. I would like to take a look too, though, what's actually happening at the moment. The Cubbies. <laughs> Man, if you're a fan, spring training's been interesting. I see, Sarah, that uh, the Dodgers took it on the chin against the Cubs earlier this week, or maybe I'm not sure if that was last week or this week, to be honest with you, but wow. By the transitive property, that means we won the World Series, right? <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, they, they, they had to put up the belt, you know. <laughs> they had, had to put up the World Series belt. We'll take on all comers, and the Cubbies win. Okay, I'm good with that. You know, yesterday the Cubs had a walk-off seventh inning grand slam against the Athletics, so I will take that any day. Yeah, the Cubs have looked good in spring training. I, you know, it's spring training, so a lot of these guys won't get major league at bats this season. It's just fun to watch baseball happening. I will say the biggest question I've had about spring training, and particularly with the Cubs, is what baseball is being used at Sloan Park, because if that's the 2019 juice baseball, it explains a lot of the home runs that are being hit. But if that's the new dead end baseball, this team has a lot of power because Jock Peterson has been hitting home runs every which way. Javi Baez hit a bomb to center field the other day for his first home run 
of spring training. Wilson Contreras hit a home run that was not a cheap shot at all. And Nico Horner, who I think that kind of overlooked last season, he looked a little bit overmatched by big league pitching. I believe his WRC plus was like 68 or something at the end of the short 2020 season. Most people were speculating he was going to have to spend some time down in AAA and that the reason the Cubs went and got Eric Sogard on a minor league deal was so him and David Bodie could split time at second while Nico was figuring some stuff out in Iowa. Nico Horner is hitting the cover off the ball. All the dude does is get extra base hits and he gets them every way. He'll hit a home run to the pool side. He'll then go oppo for a double. I am loving everything I'm seeing at the plate from Nico Horner, and he is making the Cubs job very difficult in terms of who their starting second baseman is going to be on opening day. Oh, I can't wait. I'm definitely going to have my eyeball on him after that. That's, oh, Sarah, I tell you, thanks for that insight. You're in, you're right. I know it's, it's spring training. And, you know, you, the good news is you get to see players that you won't see during the regular season. And there are these guys coming up. What will they make a difference? Well, somebody else there that is plays shortstop may not be there. You know, maybe will we trade them? You know, maybe we have this other guy who's coming up. It's looking really good. And you, he's going to come. I don't know. I'm, I'm here excited to hear what you're seeing with the Cubs. I, I had a little positive feeling when I read a story recently that you guys are actually going to have fans in the stands at Wrigley. And it was about 20%, 20% of folks. Yep, 20% at Wrigley and at guaranteed rate down on the south side. Season ticket holders should get first crack at it. I, I respect that. Don't always love it. I respect it. But I, I also see that uh, there's like a lottery, too, for other people as well, isn't there? There is, and I signed up for it first thing yesterday. Um, I, I'm not going to a game until I get vaccinated, but I figured I might as well sign up for the lottery just in case. So a couple of things that are interesting here. One, the Cubs have already announced that the bleacher tickets for opening day are going to be earmarked for first responders. So they're going to find a bunch of vaccinated first responders and healthcare workers who have done a ton of great work in the city of Chicago. And those bleacher seats are going to them for opening day, which if you've ever seen a game from the bleachers at Wrigley Field, you know that is a special experience. And I love that the Cubs are earmarking those seats for the people who got us through this crisis. So that's incredible. As for the rest of them, you know, it's going to be a small shot. I have never won a Cubs lottery anything, not playoff tickets, not a giveaway, nothing, none of it. And that's okay. I know lots and lots of people want those seats at Wrigley Field. And like you said, season ticket holders get first crack. So there's not that many seats to go around once you get through the season ticket holder waiting list. I'm just excited that there's a prospect of seeing a baseball game. I am okay with missing opening day if it means that someday in May, I can walk up to the ballpark once I'm vaccinated with a mask on, following all safety protocols, et cetera, et cetera, and actually see my Cubs play. I'm going to cry. I I cry under normal circumstances sometimes when I see Wrigley Field. So I'm sure this is going to be like ugly crying in the concourse. I think there's going to be a lot of folks, including myself, they're going to be emotional about this year. I mean, the whole idea of the opportunity to see our team again. It's part of the passion. It's part of one of the things that I, I, I talk to our fans about, too. I say, you need to go out and enjoy what's happening out there. I push so many folks to say, there's minor league teams out there. You need to go see them. Last year, we didn't have that opportunity at all anyway. But I'm glad to hear that's what's going on with, with Chicago and the Cubs. It should be an exciting season. 
I feel confident we're going to get there where more and more people will be able to come in. There's going to be more and more of us that will get vaccinated. And it's going to be a great experience in 2021. But like you, I also have some concerns about 2022 and somebody actually getting a CBA together, a bunch of lawyers on two sides of a room actually trying to get something to make sense. Yeah, here's hoping they understand that baseball needs to happen in 22. So whatever deals, side deals you want to make about the universal DH, the length of the playoffs, player shares, whatever, keep keep your eye on the ball, people. If there's no baseball in 2022, you are doing all of this work for not. The last work shortage did not go well for either side. No, no. And I've had friends who said, I will never watch another baseball game again. I said, good gravy, man. You're hurting yourself. I understand the pain, but get past it somewhat. Anyway, I I do want to talk a little bit more about you. I I was looking back on some of the research. I read what, that you got your first byline at 13? Yeah, that's true. But it, it sounds more impressive than it actually is. So I grew up in a tiny little coal mining town in Utah, uh, the county is aptly named Carbon County. And they didn't really, the local newspaper didn't really have reporters that they could send out to cover these, um, this little league all-star team that my dad was coaching and my brother was playing on. So my mom had worked at the paper years before doing some of their copy editing and stuff. And she basically said, look, my daughter really wants to write this up. If it's good, will you run it? <laughs> And so I did. Uh, I wrote up my brothers. They made it to like the Western Championships or whatever. And we went to Pocatello, Idaho and did a tournament there. Pocatello, Boise, I don't know, somewhere in Idaho. We went somewhere in Idaho. There was a tournament. I wrote that up and those were my first bylines when I was about 13 years old. I love it. I mean, so the passion was there early on as far as as a writer and a love of their other games. So that's that's huge. Now, now you're writing one or actually Bleed Gubby Blue is a podcast that you and, and I believe you have a, a fellow uh, podcaster with you. What's, what's her name? Andy Cruz Vanasek. All right. Well, that that's always fun. I mean, I'm glad I got branded here because just listening to me for an hour would kill people. But And we appreciate you being here. Where, If I want to see some of the stuff that you're writing, where am I going to find that? So at Bleed Cubby Blue, it's a blog that is run by my dear friend, Al Yellen. He's had it forever. It was the first Cubs blog I encountered way back when I was living in Utah. Great community, uh, talking about all things Cubs, major league, minors leagues, everything. The game threads are particularly fun. But I wound up getting to know Al over the years. And then in 2016, after the Cubs won the World Series, um, he asked if I wanted to contribute now and again. And I did. I, like you noted, I've been interested in baseball for a long time. I like writing. It's a little bit of a passion of mine. I took a break from it while I was teaching for a while, just because teaching is a tough job, y'all. <laughs> it is It is not like summer vacations and you're off at three o'clock. I really did not have a ton of spare time for writing when I was teaching for seven years. But no, it's been an awesome experience. And I've been publishing uh, at Bleed Cubby Blue since December of 2016. And I started their podcast with Andy, I think in 2018 or 2019. I'd have to go back and look. I know we're on our 106th episode this week. Woohoo. All right. Way to go, Sarah. I'll tell you what, I've got kind of reinvolved later in life with baseball as a fan host at Tropicana Field, helping you find your seat. But being able to, to you know, basically sneak in to see a game for free, if you will. But the, the passion of the game, the people I guess we get to talk to, we're very fortunate because we get to hear their personal stories. We get to hear 
why it was important to them. I hope that we're able to get enough other people to hear that and say, well, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to do that too. Or are there something there more than just three and a half hours of entertainment? What is it? So I, I really appreciate all you're doing with that. And in this world, it's, it's crazy. Um, last month, Brandon and I did a little bit of a feature each week on uh, Black History Month. And it's Women's History Month this month. Two people <laughs> I think of. First of all, we were actually doing a little criticism of the Mariners a couple of weeks ago. I thought of Marge Schott, okay? <laughs> it's like, geez, and crackers. I thought, that is not the woman I want to think of when I'm thinking of somebody leading baseball. So I was really pleased to find, now somebody else still in your, in your division, and that was uh, Helene Britton, and she was owner of St. Louis Cardinals. But she was there at a time when constitutionally she couldn't go on and vote. She couldn't vote for, for mayor, president, or whatever else. But she could lead that team. I, I respect any, anybody who could do that, but certainly somebody who's in an oppressed group of people. It wasn't easy for her. You know, she had to, after about a year meeting with the other owners in that division, she finally had to start sending her husband as her face, if you will, but still her voice behind all of it. I think eventually they did sell the team. And it's sad. But I do salute her. <laughs> I was glad it wasn't March shot. <laughs> salute her for, for all that she's done with, you know, she did with the game, you know, being somebody who is, she, she did make a difference and she did stand up and she did vo vocalize. It's just that there was so much oppression against her. She was not able to maintain it. Well, even the Cardinals can have one bright spot in their history, I suppose. No, they, they have a couple. The, the Cardinals have a long uh, and glorious history and I like it when the Cubs beat the Cardinals. There you Cardinals. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greatest rivalry in the sport, Cubs and Cardinals. Oh gosh, I know. Anyway, well, I wish you guys all the best with the Cubs this season. And I, Sarah, I can't thank you enough for taking time with Brandon and I here on Baseball Biz. If they want to also reach out to you on Twitter, they can. What is that at? BCB underscore Sarah, is it? Yeah, BCB underscore Sarah, no H on the Sarah. And my writing is at Bleed Cubby Blue, as is the podcast. So you can find everything between uh, that handle and that website. All right. Well, there you go, folks. We've had a great honor, opportunity and honor to have Sarah Sanchez with us here today and give us some insights on what's going on with baseball overall as well as the Cubs. So we want to thank all of y'all for being with us here today on Baseball Biz, and we look forward to talking with you all again real soon. Special thanks to X-Take RUX for the music rocking forward.